0: Chapter Three of Belinda. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sandra Estenson. Belinda by Maria Edgeworth. CHAPTER Three Lady Delacour's History. Miss Portman was awakened by the ringing of Lady Delacour's bedchamber bell. She opened her eyes with the confused idea that something disagreeable had happened, and before she had distinctly recollected herself, Marriott came to her bedside with a note from Lady Delacour. It was written with a pencil. Delacour, my lord! is to have to-day what Garrick used to call a gander-feast. Will you dine with me, tete-a-tete, and I'll write an excuse, alias a lie, to Lady Singleton, in the form of a charming note. I pique myself sur l'éloquence du billet, then we shall have the evening to ourselves. I have much to say. "'as people usually have when they begin to talk of themselves. "'I have taken a double dose of opium "'and am not so horribly out of spirits as I was last night, "'so you need not be afraid of another scene. "'Let me see you in my dressing-room, dear Belinda, "'as soon as you have adored, "'with head uncovered, the cosmetic powers. "'But you don't paint.' no matter you will, you must, everybody must, sooner or later. In the meantime, whenever you want to send a note that shall not be opened by the bearer, put your trust neither in wafer nor wax, but twist it as I twist mine. You see, I wish to put you in possession of some valuable secrets before I leave this world. This, by the by... I don't, upon second thoughts, which are always best, mean to do yet. There certainly were such people as Amazons, I hope you admire them, for who could live without the admiration of Belinda Portman? Not Clarence Hervey, as hurriedly, nor yet. T.C.H. Delacour. Belinda obeyed the summons to her ladyship's dressing-room, she found Lady Delacour with her face completely repaired with paint, and her spirits with opium. She was in high consultation with Marriott and Mrs. Franks, the milliner, about the crepe petticoat of her birthnight dress, which was extended over a large hoop in full state. Mrs. Franks, descanted long and learnedly upon festoons and loops, knots and fringes, submitting all the time everything to her ladyship's better judgment. Marriott was sulky and silent. She opened her lips but once upon the question of laburnum or no laburnum flowers. Against them she quoted the memoirs and the authority of the celebrated Mrs. Bellamy who has a case in point to prove that straw colour must ever look like dirty white by candle-light mrs franks to compromise the matter proposed gold laburnums because nothing can look better by candlelight or any light than gold and lady delacour who was afraid that the milliner's imagination now that it had once touched upon gold "'might be led to a vulgar idea of ready money.' "'Suddenly broke up the conference by exclaiming, "'We shall be late at Philip's exhibition of French China. "'Mrs. Franks must let us see her again to-morrow "'to take into consideration your court dress, my dear Belinda. "'Miss Portman, presented by Lady Delacour. "'Mrs. Franks, let her dress, for heaven's sakes.' Be something that will make a fine paragraph. I give you four and twenty hours to think of it. I have done a horrid act this day, continued she, after Mrs. Franks had left the room. Absolutely written a twisted note to Clarence Hervey, my dear. But why did I tell you that? Now your head will run upon the twisted note all day instead of upon the life and opinions of a lady of quality related by herself. After dinner, Lady Delacour, having made Belinda protest and blush and blush and protest that her head was not running upon the twisted note, began the history of her life and opinions in the following manner. I do nothing by halves, my dear. I shall not tell you my adventures, as Gil Blas told his to the court de Olivares, skipping over the useful passages. I am no hypocrite, and have nothing worse than folly to conceal. That's bad enough, for a woman who is known to play the fool is always suspected of playing the devil. BUT I BEGIN WHERE I OUGHT TO END, WITH MY MORAL, WHICH I DARE SAY YOU ARE NOT IMPATIENT TO ANTICIPATE. I NEVER READ OR LISTENED TO A MORAL AT THE END OF A STORY IN MY LIFE, MANNERS FOR ME, AND MORALS FOR THOSE THAT LIKE THEM. MY DEAR, YOU WILL BE WOEFULLY DISAPPOINTED IF IN MY STORY YOU EXPECT ANYTHING LIKE A NOVEL. I once heard a general say that nothing was less like a review than a battle, and I can tell you that nothing is more unlike a novel than real life. Of all lives, mine has been the least romantic, no love in it, but a great deal of hate. I was a rich heiress. I had, I believe, a hundred thousand pounds or more and twice as many caprices. i was handsome and witty or to speak with that kind of circumlocution which is called humility the world the partial world thought me a beauty and a bel esprit having told you my fortune need i add that i or it had lovers in abundance of all sorts and degrees not to reckon those it may be presumed who died of concealed passions for me i had sixteen declarations and proposals in form then what in the name of wonder or of common sense which by the by is the greatest of wonders what in the name of common sense made me marry Lord Delacour? Why, my dear, you-no, not you, but any girl who is not used to have a parcel of admirers would think it the easiest thing in the world to make her choice. But let her judge by what she feels when a dexterous mercer or linen draper PRODUCES PRETTY THING AFTER PRETTY THING, AND THIS IS SO BECOMING, AND THIS WILL WEAR FOREVER AS HE SWEARS, BUT THEN THAT'S SO FASHIONABLE. THE NOVICE STANDS IN A CHARMING PERPLEXITY, AND AFTER EXAMINING AND DOUBTING AND TOSSING OVER HALF THE GOODS IN THE SHOP, IT'S TEN TO ONE WHEN IT BEGINS TO GET LATE, THE YOUNG LADY IN A HURRY pitches upon the very ugliest and worst thing she has seen. Just so it was with me and my lovers, and just so. Sad was the hour, and luckless was the day. I pitched upon Viscount Delacour for my lord and judge. He had just at that time lost at Newmarket more than he was worth in every sense of the word and my fortune was the most convenient thing in the world to a man in his condition lozenges are of sovereign use in some complaints the heiress lozenge is a specific in some consumptions you are surprised that i can laugh and jest about such a melancholy thing as my marriage with lord delacour And so I am, especially when I recollect all the circumstances, for though I bragged of there being no love in my history, there was, when I was a goose or a gosling, of about eighteen—just your age, Belinda, I think—something very like love, playing about my heart or my head. There was a certain Henry Percival, a Clarence Hervey of a man— No, he had ten times the sense, begging your pardon, of Clarence Hervey. His misfortune, or mine, was that he had too much sense. He was in love with me, but not with my faults. Now I, wisely considering that my faults were the greatest part of me, insisted upon his being in love with my faults. He wouldn't or couldn't. I said wouldn't, and he said couldn't. I had been used to see the men about me lick the dust at my feet, for it was gold dust. Percival made wry faces. Lord Delacour made none. I pointed him out to Percival as an example. It was an example he would not follow. I was provoked, and I married in hopes of provoking the man I loved. The worst of it was, I did not provoke him as much as I expected. Six months afterwards, I heard of his marriage with a very amiable woman. I hate those very amiable women. Poor Percival. I should have been a very happy woman. I fancy if I had married you, for I believe you were the only man who ever really loved me. But all that is over now. Now, where were we? Oh, I married Lord Delacour, knowing him to be a fool and believing that for this reason I should find no trouble in governing him. But what a fatal mistake! A fool, of all animals in the creation, is the most difficult to govern. We set out in the fashionable world with a mutual desire to be as extravagant as possible. Strange that with this similarity of taste, WE COULD NEVER AGREE. STRANGE THAT THIS SIMILARITY OF TASTE WAS THE CAUSE OF OUR PERPETUAL QUARRELS. DURING THE FIRST YEAR OF OUR MARRIAGE, I HAD ALWAYS THE UPPER HAND IN THESE DISPUTES AND THE LAST WORD, AND I WAS CONTENT. STUBBORN AS THE BRUTE WAS, I THOUGHT I SHOULD IN TIME BREAK HIM IN. FROM THE SPECIMENS YOU HAVE SEEN, you may guess that I was even then a tolerable proficient in the dear art of tormenting. I had almost gained my point, just broken my lord's heart, when one fair morning I unluckily told his man, Champfort, that he knew no more how to cut hair than a sheep-shearer. Champfort, who was a conceit personified, took mortal offence at this, and the devil, who is always at hand, to turn anger into malice, put into Champfort's head, to put it into my lord's head, that the world thought my lady governed him. My lord took fire. They say the torpedo, the coldest of cold creatures, sometimes gives out a spark. I suppose when electrified with anger... The next time that innocent I insisted upon my lord Delacour's doing or not doing, I forget which, the most reasonable thing in the world, my lord turns short round and answers, My lady Delacourt, I am not a man to be governed by a wife. And from that time to this, the words, I am not a man to be governed by a wife, hath been written in his obstinate face, as all the world who can read the human countenance may see. My dear, I laugh, but even in the midst of laughter there is sadness. But you don't know what it is. I hope you never may, to have an obstinate fool for a bosom friend. At first I flattered myself that my lord's was not an inveterate, incurable malady, but from his obvious weakness I might have seen that there was no hope, for cases of obstinacy are always dangerous in proportion to the weakness of the patient. My lord's case was desperate, kill or cure, was my humane or prudent maxim. I determined to try the poison of jealousy by way of an alternative. I had long kept it in petto as my ultimate remedy. I fixed upon a proper subject, a man with whom I thought that I could coquette to all eternity without any danger to myself, a certain Colonel Lawless "'as empty as a cock's comb, as you would wish to see. "'The world,' said I to myself, "'can never be so absurd as to suspect Lady Delacour with such a man as this, "'though her lord may, and will, for nothing is too absurd for him to believe. "'Half my theory proved just. "'That is saying a great deal for any theory.' my lord swallowed the remedy that i had prepared for him with an avidity and a bonhomme, which it did me good to behold my remedy operated beyond my most sanguine expectations the poor man was cured of his obstinacy and became stark mad with jealousy Then, indeed, I had some hopes of him, for a handman can be managed, a fool cannot. In a month's time, I made him quite docile, with a face longer than the weeping philosophers. He came to me one morning, and assured me he would do everything I pleased, provided I would consult my own honor, and his, and give up Colonel Lawless give up. I could hardly forbear laughing at the expression. I replied that as long as my lord treated me with becoming respect, I had never in thought or deed given him just cause of complaint, but that I was not a woman to be insulted or to be kept, as I had hitherto been, in leading strings by a husband my lord flattered, as I meant he should be with the idea that it was possible he should be suspected of keeping a wife in leading strings, fell to making protestations. He hoped his future conduct would prove, etc. Upon this hint, I gave the reins to my imagination, and full drive I went, into a fresh career of extravagance. If I were checked, it was an insult, and I began directly to talk of leading strings, this ridiculous game I played successfully enough for some time, till at length, though naturally rather slow at calculation, he actually discovered that if we lived at the rate of twenty thousand a year, and had only ten thousand a year to spend, we should in due time have nothing left. This notable discovery he communicated to me one morning after a long preamble. But when he had finished prosing, I agreed that it was demonstrably just that he should retrench his expenses but that it was equally unjust and impossible that I could make any reformation in my civil list. That economy was a word which I had never heard of in my life till I married his lordship. That, upon second recollection, it was true, I had heard of such things as national economy, and that it would be very pretty— though rather hackneyed topic of declamation for a maiden speech in the house of lords. I therefore advised him to reserve all he had to say upon the subject for the noble lord upon the woolsack. Nay, I very graciously added that upon this condition I would go to the house myself to give his arguments and eloquence a fair hearing, and that I would do my best to keep myself awake. This was almighty playful and witty, but it happened that my lord Delacour, who never had any great taste for wit, could not this unlucky morning at all relish it. Of course, I grew angry and reminded him, with an indelicacy which his want of generosity justified, that an heiress who had brought a hundred thousand pounds into this family had some right to amuse herself, and that it was not my fault if elegant amusements were more expensive than others. Then came a long, criminating and recriminating chapter. It was my lord your new market blenders. my lady your cursed theatricals, my lord I have surely a right, and my lady I have surely as good a right. But, my dear Belinda, however we might pay one another, we could not pay all the world with words. In short, after running through thousands and tens of thousands, we were actually in distress for money. Then came selling of lands, and I don't know what devices for raising money, according to the modes of lawyers and attorneys, It was quite indifferent to me how they got money provided they did get it by what art these gentlemen raised money i never troubled myself to inquire it might have been the black art for anything i know to the contrary i know nothing of business so i signed all the papers they brought to me and i was mighty well pleased to find that by so easy and expedient as writing t c h delacour i could command money at will i signed and signed till at last i was with all due civility informed that my signature was no longer worth a farthing and when i came to inquire into the cause of this phenomenon i could nowise understand what my lord delacour's lawyer said to me he was a prig and I had not patience either to listen to him or to look at him. I sent for an old uncle of mine, who used to manage all my money matters before I was married. I put the uncle and the lawyer into a room together with their parchments to fight the matter out, or to come to a right understanding if they could. The last, it seems, was quite impossible. In the course of half an hour, "'Out comes my uncle in such a rage. "'I never shall forget his face. "'All the bile in his body had gotten into it. "'He had literally no whites to his eyes. "'My dear uncle,' I said, "'what is the matter? "'Why, you are absolutely gold stick in waiting.' "'No matter what I am, child,' said the uncle, I'll tell you what you are, with all your wit, a dupe. 'Tis a shame for a woman of your sense to be such a fool, and to know nothing of business. And if you knew nothing yourself, could not you send for me? I was too ignorant to know that I knew nothing, said I, but I will not trouble you with all the said eyes and said he's. I was made to understand that if Lord Delacour were to die the next day, I should live a beggar. Upon this I grew serious, as you may imagine. My uncle assured me that I had been grossly imposed upon by my lord and his lawyer, and that I had been swindled out of my senses and out of my dower. I repeated all that my uncle said very faithfully to Lord Delacour, and all that he or his lawyer could furnish out by way of answers was that necessity had no law, necessity it must be allowed though it might be the mother of law, was never with my lord the mother of invention. Having now found out that I had a good right to complain, I indulged myself in it most gloriously. In short, my dear, we had a comfortable family quarrel. Love quarrels are easily made up, but of money quarrels there is no end. From the moment these money quarrels commenced, I began to hate Lord Delacour, before I had only despised him. You can have no notion to what meanness extravagance reduces men. I have known Lord Delacour shirk, and look so shabby, and tell so many lies to people about a hundred guineas, a hundred guineas. What do I say? about twenty, ten, five. Oh, my dear, I cannot bear the thoughts of it. But I was going on to tell you that my good uncle and all my relations quarreled with me for having ruined myself, as they say. But I said they quarreled with me for fear I should ask them for some of their vile trash. Accordingly, I abused and ridiculed them, one and all and for my pains all my acquaintance said that lady delacour was a woman of a vast deal of spirit we were relieved from our money embarrassments by the timely death of a rich nobleman to whose large estate my lord delacour was heir-at-law i was intoxicated with the idle compliments of all my acquaintance and I endeavored to console myself for misery at home by gaiety abroad. Ambitions of pleasing universally, I became the worst of slaves, a slave to the world. Not a moment of my time was at my own disposal, not one of my actions. I may say, not one of my thoughts was my own. I was obliged to find things charming every hour, which tired me to death, and every day it was the same dull round of hypocrisy and dissipation. You wonder to hear me speak in this manner, Belinda. But one must speak the truth sometimes, and this is what I have been saying to Harriet Freke continually for these ten years past. Then why persist in the same kind of life, you say? Why, my dear, because I could not stop. I was fit for this kind of life and for no other. I could not be happy at home. For what sort of a companion could I have made for Lord Delacour? By this time he was tired of his horse Potato, and his horse High Flyer, and his horse Eclipse, and Goliath, and Jenny Gray, etc., and he had taken to hard drinking, which soon turned him, as you see, quite into a beast. End of Chapter 3 Lady Delacour History, Part 1